the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is Cornerstone Connection, the radio ministry of Pastor Gary Hamrick of Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. Pastor Gary is teaching through 1 Corinthians. make idols out of people. We can make idols out of professions. Some people whose identity is totally wrapped up in what they do more than it is in who they are in Christ. There are a lot of people who make what they do their idol. We can make idols out of our possessions. You can make an idol out of money. You can make an idol out of your car. Are you one of those people who park way across the parking lot because you don't want anybody to ding your doors? Idol... We may not have a bunch of golden, jewel-adorned statues as the focus of our worship and adoration, but we still have plenty of idols. And you could say that our idols are even more dangerous because they're so subtle. Most of us are unaware of the idolatry in our hearts. As Pastor Gary will explain in today's message, we make people, things, events, and careers idols on a daily basis. Anything that takes precedence to following God first and foremost is an idol and needs to be dealt with. At the close of Pastor Gary's message today, I'll be sharing with you how you can get a copy of today's broadcast of Cornerstone Connection, subscribe to the podcast, or get in touch with us. But for now, let's join Pastor Gary in the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 10 with today's edition of Cornerstone Connection. This is an instructive and a corrective letter that Paul writes to the church at Corinth. Uh, They were made up of Jewish believers, but predominantly Gentile believers. It was a mixture uh, and this, this church is chaotic and out of order. I mean, if, if this letter could be titled, it might be titled Order in the Church because it was a church of tremendous disorder. Um, they had a lot of questions that they wrote Paul about. They needed to understand some things related to spiritual gifts and marriage relationships, uh, even regarding money. Uh, lawsuits. They were suing each other. They were getting drunk at communion. They were, they were uh, abusing spiritual gifts. They were, they were doing all kinds of things that were just completely out of order. And so Paul writes this letter uh, in part to answer some questions they had and in part to correct them about some things they were doing wrong. This letter is both practical and doctrinal. He goes over some things related to doctrine, but he also teaches some very practical things. But you're going to see here as we, as we look at chapter 10 and maybe a little bit into chapter 11 that he's, he's going to deal with pulling some things together and, and putting some things in order. I mean, that is a major theme of this book, of bringing disorder into order. How many of you understand that God is a God of order? Okay, He's not a God of chaos. I know some of your personalities are a little disordered and a little chaotic, um, but God is a God of order and he wants to help you get your life in order because he is a God of order. In fact, if you just glance ahead to, I think it's the last verse of chapter 
14, in verse 40, he says, but everything should be done in a fitting and orderly way. Everything should be done in a fitting and orderly way. That's the way chapter 14 ends, the last verse there. Now, it isn't to say that God is rigid, but it is to say that God is structured. And he has a structure, and he has a structure for the church, and he has a structure for your home. And if we follow God's structure, it goes better for us. That's just the way it works. And so as we look here into chapter 10, go back to chapter 10 now, uh, Paul is going to spend some time first just kind of exhorting the church at Corinth, which obviously translates into some exhortation for us. All of this is applicable even for us today. Uh, And he's going to remind the church about some things that Israel did wrong in their history. He's going to refer to some of the history of the Jewish people. He's going to say, look, these people did some things wrong. You need to understand and learn from their example. So I'm going to read here verses 1 through uh, verse 11. We won't get to the end of this section completely because it transitions there. So let me just read verses 1 through 11. Follow along in your Bibles. He says this, For I do not want you to be ignorant of the fact, brothers, that our forefathers were all under the cloud, and that they all passed through the sea. They were all baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. They all ate the same spiritual food and drank the same spiritual drink, for they drank from the spiritual rock that accompanied them, and that rock was Christ. Nevertheless, God was not pleased with most of them. Their bodies were scattered over the desert. Now these things occurred as examples to keep us from setting our hearts on evil things as they did. Do not be idolaters, as some of them were, as it is written. The people sat down to eat and drink and got up to indulge in pagan revelry. We should not commit sexual immorality, as some of them did. And in one day, 23,000 of them died. We should not test the Lord, as some of them did, and were killed by snakes. And do not grumble, as some of them did. And we're killed by the destroying angel. Now, by the way, shouldn't all this be motivation enough? You know, I don't want a destroying angel. I don't want snakes. I don't want to die. So, you know, learn from their examples. Well, he goes on verse 11. These things happened to them as examples, examples for us, and were written down as warnings for us on whom the fulfillment of the ages has come. All right, let's not read to the end of that section completely. Let's back up now and understand what he's talking about here. He gives to the church at Corinth, that he gives to us some warnings from Israel's history. And he's talking primarily here about the time that the Israelites wandered for 40 years in the wilderness between Egypt and the Promised Land. And so all of that is recorded in the books of of Exodus and Numbers, and then the law is given during that time in Leviticus and Deuteronomy. And so all of this stuff is recorded for us in the Old Testament, predominantly in Exodus and Numbers. And he's talking, he says, look, learn, learn from Jewish history. Learn some things that they didn't do right that got him killed. Okay? He says, there are a lot of dead bodies scattered throughout the Sinai Peninsula because these people disobeyed God. So how about we learn from their example? I think it was Mark Twain who said, no man is worthless. He can always serve as a bad example. All right? And so... That's what Paul's basically saying. He said, don't don't let all of the deaths of these Jewish people in the Sinai Peninsula be for nothing. Learn from their mistakes. Wouldn't you much rather learn from somebody else's mistakes than from your own? I would. I would much rather learn from what someone else went through 
than to have to do it myself and suffer the consequences for it. So this is what he's saying to us. Now, if you'll notice here, he talks here about our forefathers were all under, were all under the cloud. Remember that the, that the Lord accompanied them through the wilderness as a cloud by day to help shield them from the intense heat of the desert and a pillar of fire at night to light the way. All right, so the Lord was with them through this whole journey uh, from Egypt to the promised land. There are a few million Jews here, 40 years in the wilderness. And he says they all passed through the sea. Remember how the Red Sea parted and the Israelites miraculously were delivered out of Egypt on their way to the promised land. They ate the same spiritual food. They drank the same spiritual drink. Remember, God provided for them in the wilderness. He brought water out of rocks. Okay, Moses would... Uh, speak to the rock, and, and then there was a time that he lost his cool and struck the rock and, you know, was angry, and, and, uh, and so for that, he didn't get to go into the promised land. He misrepresented God, but, and then God provided manna in the wilderness for them. It was this unique substance that nobody really knows what it was because it isn't around anymore, but manna literally in Hebrew translates, what is it? That's what it literally means, because the people would come out in the morning, and it would look like frosted flakes all over the ground, and they'd be scooping up frosted flakes, because it was great, and so then they would, they would, you know, eat, or use your imagination. I like to think of, you know, Krispy Kreme donuts spread all, oh, the icing of just, oh, it's delicious. It's just like eating a baby angel, but anyway, and so they, they would scoop it all up, and they would eat it. It would only be good for a day, and God provided this for them. Well, they got sick of it. They, 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 they made everything that they could out of manna. They got sick of it. it was, they made manna splits, manwiches, manicotti. They, they did everything that they possibly could, and then they got tired of it, and they complained against God. Listen, if this is the only thing you have to eat, don't complain against God. We're going to see how it gets them killed here. All right? So, learn. So, the first thing that they do here, as Paul says, let them be examples for us. Verse 7 do not be idolaters, as some of them were, as it is written, the pagan people, the people sat down to eat and drink and got up to indulge in pagan revelry. So here's the first thing. Do not be an idolater. Do not be an idolater. He says the Israelites were idolatrous. And what he's referring to is an occasion, we don't need to go back and read it, but I'll summarize from Exodus 32. This is when Moses went up on Mount Sinai to, re- to receive the Ten Commandments from God. And while he was up on the mountain, a little too long to the people's liking down at the base of the mountain, they decided to make an idol in the form of a calf. Why a calf? Because the Egyptians worshipped a calf among many gods. And they came out of Egypt and they just decided to start to worship the, the gods that they were familiar with back in Egypt. Fashioned this gold calf because they threw in all their jewelry. And Aaron, who's supposed to be the high priest, he fashions this golden calf. Moses comes back down off the mountain. He's like, what, what in the world happened here? And Aaron's like, I don't know. I just threw in a bunch of gold and out came this calf. I really don't know. I mean, seriously, he completely, he completely is oblivious to how this happened. He doesn't take ownership of it. But they engage in idolatry. Now, the warning is to us, don't be idolaters. And you might read this and think, okay, well, listen, I'm not bowing down to a golden calf. So how is this applicable to me? Oh, but it is applicable because here's the deal. An idol, in its basic definition, is anything that you're more devoted to than God. That's what an idol is. 
You don't have to bow down to this golden image of a calf to be an idolater. You can simply make more out of people, professions, or possessions and be an idolater. Say, how is that possible? Folks, you can make an idol out of people, okay? Particularly single people can make an idol out of people. All right, once you've been married, you realize, ah, this isn't any big deal, you know, this person. You know, when you, re- when you live with somebody long enough, you realize, don't want to idolize this person, you know, because we all have our faults, right? But, for, but, but single people, they, they will make, they will, oh, oh, and I, I hear this, okay? I hear the lady say, oh, but he's such a stud. No, he's a spud, but you can't see it because you made an idol out of him. Or, oh, she's, oh, oh, she's so divine. No, she's just a diva, but you can't see it because you made an idol out of her. See, and we make idols out, and because you think, I can't, I gotta have it, I can't live without it. No, you can't live without Jesus. You can live without him or her, but you can't live without Jesus. So we can make idols out of people. We can make idols out of professions. Some people whose identity is totally wrapped up in what they do more than it is in who they are in Christ. There are a lot of people who make what they do their idol. We can make idols out of our possessions. You can make an idol out of money. You can make an idol out of your car. Are you one of those people who park way across the parking lot because you don't want anybody to ding your doors? <laughs> idol. <laughs> you can make a, a, a possession, an idol like technology. It always cracks me up when like the latest Apple iPhone comes out and people are like pitching tents outside of Apple stores trying to get the latest thing. Really? It's going gonna, it's gonna to be replaced in another year or two. And then the latest thing is going to be the oldest thing. And so whether you have, you know, the latest and greatest, it doesn't really matter. And by the way, if you ever noticed an Apple, the, the insignia, the emblem, the logo of Apple is an apple with a bite out of it. Coincidence? I think not. <laughs> so we can make idols out of all kinds of things. And the lesson is here, don't be an idolater. Now, it gets even more serious. Verse 8. We should not commit sexual immorality as some of them did. And in one day, 23,000 of them died. So the warning, do not be sexually immoral, there in verse 8. He's referring to an occasion that happened in Numbers chapter 25. In Numbers chapter 25, Balak, the king of Moab, hired this, he's a strange character in the Bible, he's difficult to really understand, but his name is Balaam. And Balaam was hired by Balak, king of the Moabites, who were perennial enemies of the Israelites, to curse the Israelites. What happened is the Israelites were coming now into the promised land, making their way, and the Moabites were threatened by them. So King Balak of Moab hires Balaam to curse them because he's afraid they're going to come and attack him and the Moabite people. Balaam comes, and every time that he opens his mouth to curse God's people, God puts a blessing in his mouth. It's this wonderful thing that happens. It's, it's this beautiful thing in the Bible where he gets ready to curse them, and then all of a sudden he's like, you, you wonderful, beautiful people of God. You know, you know, and then so he goes through this routine. Well, when Balaam realizes, I can't curse God's people, because every time I open my mouth, God puts a blessing in my mouth. He says to King Balak, in essence, you know the old axiom, if he can't beat him, join him. And his advice to King Balak is this, send some of the Moabite women into the camp of the Israeli army and seduce the men. 
Because if you can get them to engage in sexual immorality, you will defeat them from within. And that's exactly what happened. And Balak sent Moabite women into the camp of the Israeli army men, and they engaged in sexual immorality while they were lodging in a place called Shittim. And while they're in Shittim, they compromised themselves sexually. And as a result, God's anger burned against them, and 23,000 died. It was God's judgment against them. The warning for us, do not be sexually immoral. God gave sex as a wonderful gift to be enjoyed within the bounds of a marriage between a man and a woman. And anything outside of that is sexual sin. Be warned about it. Then he also challenges us, the third thing on the list, do not test the Lord, he says in verse 9. He says, we should not test the Lord as some of them did and were killed by snakes. This story happened in Numbers chapter 21. In Numbers chapter 21, the people, it says, spoke against Moses. They were tired of Moses' leadership. They were tired of being in the wilderness. They were tired of having no water and no food. They had it, but they just didn't have it in the abundance that they wanted. It's kind of like when you go to your full pantry and open up the door and say, there's nothing to eat in here. Yes, there is. But that's the way they were being. Like, there's no food. There's no water. There's just this stinking desert and this miserable manna. And they basically were saying, is this all you got, God? Don't test the Lord your God. Don't test the Lord. Because as a result, God sent snakes into the wilderness to kill them because they tested the Lord. And then in a similar way, the fourth thing that he says here is do not grumble or complain. Now, King James Bible uses the word murmur. Do not murmur. This story is taken out of Numbers 14. This is what he says here in verse 10. He says, and do not grumble as some of them did and were killed by the destroying angel. The people grumbled about their circumstances in Numbers chapter 14. And they even, listen to this, they even said, we were better off in Egypt. That's what they said. He said, compared to where we are now in our circumstances, we were better off in Egypt. Do you know how insane that is? You've been a slave, you and your people, for 400 years. And you think life was better for you there than between there and the promised land. You know, you're not always going to be where you ultimately want to be or where ultimately God wants you to be. But you and I had better learn to be content right where we are until we get there. Everybody hear me on that? We, not, we may not always be exactly where we want to be or yet where God's going to take us to be, but we had better learn to be content right where God has us. You start grumbling and complaining against God, He hears this. He hears it. And it is offense, uh, an offense against Him. It is displeasing to Him. We need to be people who pray for an attitude of gratitude. We need to be asking God to help us to see His goodness in spite of whatever our circumstances are, and trust him for who he is until we get to where he wants us to be. The people of Israel did not get this. They grumbled against the Lord. They complained against the Lord. They actually thought it would be better to be slaves again in Egypt, to be where God had them and where God was taking them. So the warning to us, as Paul writes here, do not grumble, do not complain. And, you know, earlier I announced about this trip to Bolivia. Let me tell you something. One thing that will go a long way 
to prying an attitude of grumbling and complaining, complaining from your life is to go on a mission trip. And you begin to see the conditions that other people live in, you'll come back very grateful. And you will be challenged most often by those who have far less than you and I when you listen to how grateful they are for the little that they have. It's very challenging. So I don't know what it might take in your life if you can look at your life and say, yeah, I tend to complain. I, I, can, I, I tend to grumble about stuff. But we need to get an attitude of gratitude and be thankful for all of God's blessings, even when we're not exactly where we want to be or where God is going to ultimately take us. Learn to be content where we are and be thankful. Well, he goes on here and talks about again in verse 11 how these things happened as examples written down as warnings for us on whom the fulfillment of the ages has come. And then here in verse 12, he says this. So if you think you're standing firm, be careful that you don't fall. No temptation has seized you except what is common to man. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can stand up under it. There's a lot there, friends, friends, in two verses, verse 12 and verse 13, that I just want to highlight a few things about temptation that we might understand it. The first thing that he says here to us with, well, it's not really the first thing. I'm going, to come, I'm going to save the first thing for the last thing. But one of the things he says to us is that everyone will be tempted. All right? Because he says, but when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out. He doesn't say if. He says when. All of us will face temptation. By the way, temptation itself is not a sin. The Bible says Jesus was tempted in every way as we are, yet was without sin. Temptation itself is not a sin. We will be tempted on many different levels because we are people of flesh. Even after you get saved, even after you trust Christ as your Savior, you still will be living within a body, a life, a fleshly nature that instinctively is drawn to sinful things. And thus, Paul writes about the battle of the flesh versus the spirit. There is, there is a thing that wars within our members, he writes about in chapters 7, 8, and 9. And then he adds, but thanks be to God who gives me the victory through Jesus Christ my Lord. So every Christian needs to understand, when you get saved and you accept Christ as your Savior, listen, the battle just began. Because now you have a conflict that is waging within you. The spirit wants to do one thing within you that is regenerated by Christ and the flesh within you wants to do something else. And everyone will face temptation. Everyone. The other thing that he says here is, everyone experiences similar temptations. Because he says in verse 13 that no temptation has seized you except what is common to man. So, you know, we're not going to do it. But if we were to go around the room and say, well, what tempts you? You'd be amazed at how similar the things are that tempt everybody. Now, it might be slightly different from the person next to you, but I guarantee if you go down the whole row, you'll probably come up with the same list that tempts everybody. To one degree or another, you will be tempted by certain things, maybe more so towards one particular thing than another particular thing. But all of us are going to be tempted at some level, and the temptations are very similar now, this is a hopeful thing. Notice also that he says here, number three on our list, is that God limits our temptations that we can't bear. Because he knows us. And he knows what our limit is. Notice again, verse 13, the middle of it, it says, And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. So God knows our breaking point, And God will intervene. Not that he's the one who tempts. 
okay? Temptation is the result of our sinful nature, the world, the devil. All those things work in concert against us. Your flesh, the world, the devil. All of that works in concert against us. We're so glad you joined us for this edition of Cornerstone Connection as we dig into the book of 1 Corinthians. The issues and situations that Paul was addressing in this letter to the Corinthian church are the same issues that churches face today. It's bold and courageous that Paul faced those things head on, and it would be negligent for churches today to not do the same. Despite the idolatry and sin that was running rampant in this culture, Paul encouraged the believers to be a light that shines in a dark world. You can be this today in the dark world that surrounds you. Be a light that glows brilliantly and stands out against the dark blanket of sin that surrounds you. If you're ever in the Leesburg, Virginia area, we'd love to meet you in person at Cornerstone Chapel. Stop in for a service this Sunday at 8.30, 10, or 11.45, or join us for our Bible study and fellowship on Wednesdays at 7 p.m. Pastor Gary would love to hear your story and how you came to know about the radio ministry of Cornerstone Connection. Find out more details, such as where we're located, at cornerstoneconnection.cc. That's all we have for today, but join us next time to learn more from the book of 1 Corinthians right here on Cornerstone Connection. General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.